0: Your opportunity to listen and learn from the most successful people driving growth and success in Palm Beach County and beyond. Welcome to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach Podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, Principled Wealth Advisors. Carrie and his guests share stories and insights from Palm Beach County's most successful executives, entrepreneurs, and community leaders. Learn how they made it to where they are today, what principles guide them how they mentor others to achieve success, and more.
1: This is Carrie Stamp. I'm your host to the Business in Paradise podcast, and I have a very, very special guest with us today. I have Dr. Amit Rastogi, who is the CEO of Jupiter Medical Center right here in beautiful Jupiter, Florida. Jupiter Medical Center is near and dear to my heart. Anytime that I have an issue or get sick or need to go see the doctor, I wind up at Jupiter Medical Center. Almost all of the physicians that I see are affiliated in some way or or another with Jupiter Medical. And it's a local, a real, local community hospital that is operated as a nonprofit, and we're so fortunate to have it here. Dr. Rastogi, welcome to the Business in Paradise podcast.
2: Yeah, thanks Gary, thanks for taking the time and look forward to our conversation. So tell me a
1: little bit about your story. How did you get to become a physician and then end up going into the, I guess, medical administration or hospital administration field?
2: Sure. So, you know, growing up, I knew there's only two things I really wanted to do. It was either go to medical school or become a computer scientist. So I, after taking all the courses, what I came to realize was I didn't last too long in front of the keyboard because I really wanted to be around people and, you know, spend my days interacting with folks. So I ended up Going down more the the medicine track, and then I was actually never one of these people who wanted to go to medical school and become an administrator. I thought, boy, you know, I enjoy seeing patients, enjoy you know taking care of folks every day. But then what happened was I made the mistake of starting to get involved, and you know the old adage that the punishment for a job well done is the opportunity to do more, and that's you I know mean, really what ended up happening. So. As I led some small endeavors in the physician and the physician practice world, people said, Boy, maybe you can do a little bit more. I started out with roles such as chief of staff and then um, got involved with some business ventures. And then I came to realize that there came a point where, as much as I enjoyed patient care and as much as I enjoyed administration, I really could either be not good at two things or start to really focus on one thing. Wow. So
1: uh, take us back a little bit further okay? You said growing up, you were making some decisions about uh, what you wanted your life to look like. Where'd you
2: grow up? First, I went to a boarding school, mostly because my parents said somebody else is better off raising me. <laughs> no, actually, I'm, I'm kidding about that. The reality of it is is that, as it, was, as it is for most parents, it was harder for them to send me to boarding school than it was for me to be there. But I enjoyed every minute of that experience. Then I, I grew up in New Jersey. I know a lot of people don't like to admit it, but I absolutely loved my my time in Jersey, Loved loved the Northeast. My folks, you know, still live up there, but now I'm happy to be down in Florida.
1: All right. And so then after boarding school, you go to undergrad where?
2: I went to undergrad in New Jersey as well, and then went to med school at New Jersey Medical School, after that, uh, despite knowing that it's going to be colder, I went up further north to, to Boston and Connecticut to do my residency training.
1: All right, and so that was so residency for a physician is generally their first job out of medical school, and does that revolve often around a specialty? or is, it, is every MD that graduates go through a residency?
2: That's correct. So in order to be able to practice, in order to be able to get a license, you do have to go through an accredited residency program. So once I finished med school, at that time, initially, I thought I wanted to be an anesthesiologist. So I did my first year, because when you do anesthesia, you're required to do transitional year before that, which I did internal medicine in Connecticut. Then I went up to Boston to one of the Harvard programs to do anesthesia. But again, I realized that I really wanted to spend more time, my days akin to my computer science you know, uh, thinking around interacting with people all day. So I went back to my primary care roots and finished that back in Connecticut.
1: Okay, so we leave Boston, move to Connecticut, and you get your first job out of residency somewhere in Connecticut? That's right. What
2: was it, just internal medicine practice? Yes, internal medicine practiced. I had the good fortune of, you know, as we say, when we get our first job, the best thing that can happen is you have some great mentors So I uh, really took up a position with some people, that some doctors that I really respected, not just by me, but well-respected in the community. And like I said, I got molded in early on into how to practice medicine and and really be a a great servant physician. And I spend a lot of time in Connecticut also because uh, we have
1: quite a few clients in Fairfield County. Where were you located in Connecticut?
2: So I was also in Fairfield County. I lived in a town called Shelton. And uh, I practiced initially in Bridgeport, then in Trumbull, and, you know, then went on to work at Yale.
1: Okay, so is Yale where you kind of made your transition into an administrative role? Is that where this, this all kind of transpired?
2: That is correct. You know, and as I did more there, they asked me to take on, you know, bigger roles from an executive standpoint. A lot of the work that I did at Yale was really around leading physician practices Helping them grow, helping them with quality metrics, helping them come into value-based uh, healthcare uh, as well.
1: Almost like a McKinsey and Company for doctors, like <laughs> like a, like a like a
2: consulting firm for physicians. Well, I, I did have a administrative role right at Yale, so it, I wasn't really a consultant. I was actually uh, in charge of of a pretty big portfolio there. So, were the
1: doctors who were you were working with? Mm-hmm. Were they? Employees of Yale, or were they private practice groups, or were they affiliated private practice groups that did most of their work through Yale?
2: So, the interesting thing is the answer is all of the above. Okay, so we started out as independent docs and then slowly became affiliated, but then did have a much, much closer alliance, one that's almost uh, or, or very much like an employment type of model with Yale.
1: And one beautiful thing about Yale that I've always loved when I've been up there and been fortunate to either be hosted by somebody that has something to do with the university, is that they have an amazing golf course that is like, it may not be the best maintained golf course in Connecticut, but it's certainly one of the best designed old school golf courses right on property there. So I hope you had the opportunity to take advantage of playing the course.
2: I did. And there's two memories I can distinctly share with you. One, I never played after August 31st because I learned the hard way. It's pretty darn hard to find that golf ball once the foliage starts. And number two, I was always amazed every time I walked on that golf course and thought about how many greats, regardless of intellectual pursuit, have walked this golf course over, you know, probably over 100 years.
1: Wow. So how long were you part of the university and the hospital system at Yale?
2: You know, I started out there with training at a Yale-affiliated hospital, then had some affiliations over time. Full-time, I was there for just a few years.
1: Okay. And from Yale, where do you end up? Where do you go from there? Uh,
2: then I slowly made my way down the coast. So you know, even when I was at Yale, I used to have a home in Naples, Florida. So always loved Florida and certainly hoped to be down here at some point. But I made my way slowly down by make a stop in the Northern Virginia region. I spent a few years at Innova Health System in Northern Virginia and uh, had an executive role there as well.
1: So when you get to Innova, you're in Northern Virginia. Are you running a hospital or are you uh, one of the key administrators? I was
2: one of of the key administrators. So Innova is probably the premier health system in Northern Virginia, about $4.5 billion in revenue. And I was in charge of strategy, growth, and innovation for the health system is there a track for
1: somebody that wants to be a hospital administrator? I mean, I don't see many of them that have MD after their name. Often it's a, they've gone to a management or hospital management school and gotten designation that way. Why, uh, is that something that you thought of or you kind of saw the opportunities in hospital management after you got into the business?
2: So you asked an important question, which is, is there a track? So I often Get asked that by many young physicians who finish med school or people are thinking about that. And my answer to them always is there is no track. What you should do is think about following your passions within administration. Where do you think your interests are, where do you think your strengths are, take the road less traveled, and you know that'll be a a great career path for you. I have done that over the years and that's worked out well for me. So it's not, again, as I said, that I think about where do I want to end up in five or 10 years? to say, you know, what are the things that interest me and, and how can I serve best?
1: Okay. So Innova Health, you said, is a for-profit. And no, it's no? not for-profit. Oh, it's a non-profit enterprise. Correct. Okay. So Jupiter Medical is not your first non-profit experience working med- medicine. in medicine. and Yale, I guess.
2: Yeah, that's correct. I've actually preferred to stay on the, on the not-for-profit side just because I found that that aligned better with my goals and my values. So what would you say if we're we're looking at a
1: hospital like Jupiter Medical right here in our community that, you know, has been here for 60 some years, something Uh, like that?
2: Just over 40 years.
1: Just over 40 years. I was close. So it's been here for 40 years. What's the advantage to the community of having a
2: non-profit hospital versus having a for-profit hospital? I think the biggest factor that weighs into that answer is in a not-for-profit Every single dollar of revenue that's generated, or every dollar that we generate from fundraising or philanthropy, goes right back into programs at Jupiter Medical Center and the community. There's no returns that we have for shareholders. There's really nowhere else any of the funding goes. Are there any
1: unique challenges that you have if you're running a nonprofit hospital that a for-profit hospital doesn't necessarily have?
2: You know, sometimes there can be challenges with regards to recruiting talent because we are not able to offer um, equity grants sometimes uh, as to executives that may come in. But what you find is that for the most part, just like was the case for me, most of the people who want to come into not-for-profit have a very, very strong sense of duty.
1: Okay. So the hospital here in uh, Jupiter, if somebody comes to work at Jupiter Medical Center, are you competing against a for-profit hospital for talent down uh, here?
2: For sure. So okay. if you if you look at many of the hospitals in the area that are owned by Tenet or HCA, which are you know, for-profit entities, so we do compete with them um, you know for talent for sure.
1: Okay. And in terms of competition in this marketplace, is it tougher or easier to be for-profit or nonprofit? or is that a silly question because there's advantages to both?
2: No, I, I don't think that it makes very much of a difference within the market if you're a for-profit, you know, not-for-profit. And the reality of it is that oftentimes the public may not even know that. But I do think they start realizing that over time uh, because I do think there are cultural differences in the way that for-profits and not-for-profits approach healthcare.
1: You're being very diplomatic. I appreciate that. We'll move on. So if you were thinking, if so, so let's talk about the young people that, you've been giving advice to, that come up to you and say, hey, what's the track to go into hospital administration or hospital management? You've said to them, follow your dreams and follow your passion. You've said that in the past that you had some mentors that kind of helped you through the process. Talk to me a little bit about how you think those types of folks need to get mentored in the business, what they should be doing, who they should be talking to, And if there's somebody that you would like to share that made a significant contribution to your career or your life, you can share their name. You don't have to share their name. You can just say, hey, this happened to me. This person really helped me out because I I know I wouldn't be where I am today uh, if I hadn't some help. So two-part question, anybody that you want to give a shout out to, and then what would you tell the young people that want to be in your chair someday?
2: Sure, sure. So I have no qualms at all about sharing the name, uh, it was uh, Dr. Arnold Rosario, who, uh, as I mentioned right at the, at the outset of our time here together, who you know really was instrumental. I mean, he's the, the the practice you know that I joined, and really was great about helping me think about you know how do you approach patient care with really the patient in mind, and uh, you know about making sure that you never compromise your integrity along the way, whether you're taking care of patients or in business ventures as well. We all know that having those ideal set early because when we all finish school, we're kind of like putty. And this is what I tell young physicians when they're coming out as well too. And a lot of times, not just how do you work, but how do you approach your work really gets molded by picking mentors early. And that's why I think that is such a a critical, critical step in anybody's development. Is there any type of
1: teaching program or teaching aspect that's going on right now at Jupiter Medical like you had at Yale?
2: Well, you know, we, we do have programs for nurses who, as nursing students, are able to rotate through the hospital, get a chance to see what it's like at Jupiter Medical Center, not just how do we deliver care clinically, but what's our culture like, and it's something we're very, very proud of, and I think that also helps us recruit a lot of those nurses when they finish school, because they, I think they enjoy their experience with us, and they feel this is a great place to work. Wow. I mean, when did you start? What was your actual start date with uh, Jupiter Medical? In September of 2019.
1: Right. is uh, Perfect timing. Right right before this great storm that we've spent the last two and a half years going through. Yeah. What was that
2: like? So you, you remember I said earlier that when I was in Connecticut, I used to have a home in Naples, and I used to dream about the day that I may have the chance to live in Florida full time. So in that dream, it never contained starting right before a pandemic. You know, none of us could have seen that coming for sure. No doubt, it was a very stressful time. So uh, obviously it was. What would
1: you say were some of the greatest challenges that the hospital had to deal with as we're going into that pandemic?
2: I think by definition, the issue with the pandemic is it's dealing with the unknown, right? So what you have to do is to be able to make clinical and operational decisions based upon very, very little knowledge at the outset. And I am proud to say that because we had such a great culture of collaboration at JMC with the board, the leadership team, and our team members, we really got many of the things right, right at the beginning, which helped us not just at the beginning, but quite frankly, for a good portion of the pandemic. And
1: so as you're going through this, you're rallying your team. How are you, as a head of the hospital... Communicating to the team and sharing with them what needs to happen, what's going on. Do you have daily meetings or bulletins, or how do they hear from? How does the team at Jupiter Medical hear from you?
2: So you know, communication during the pandemic was definitely a bit of a challenge, right? Because normally, in times of whether it's crisis or unusual circumstances, the first thing you do is call a town hall. One of the first things that went away during the pandemic was our ability to be able to get in a room with. 25, 50 people. So the way that we ended up managing communication was multifold. So one, I was definitely out and about making rounds in the hospital. Number two, you, you know, meet in small groups with your teams, and then third, as many of us did, we had to l- learn to get adept very quickly with uh, you know Zoom team meetings and so many other virtual meeting formats. And then finally, you know, as you know, when we have to hit when we hit communication, you want to use all the tools you have. Than emails and memos as well, too. Yeah, I would imagine that that was tough.
1: We were out of the office for a number of months, but we have a small office here. So it wasn't that hard for us to come in and work in the office, socially distance. And the people that didn't need to come in didn't have to come in. They could work from home. And But we find that it's so much for us. It's uh, so much better to have most of the folks here that are collaborating right here on site. If you wouldn't mind, tell us a little bit about your family, about you know what's going on with them, a little bit of the background of how you met your significant other or wife and what's life like at home.
2: Sure, sure. So uh, I met my wife actually introduced by our parents, uh, but we didn't get married until about seven years later. She's a, a physician as well. She's a, a radiologist. I'm also ha- I'm proud to have two teenage daughters which I have to say they're better as teenagers in high school than they were as teenagers in middle school. But my older daughter uh, attends UVA, is doing computer science and engineering and loves it. And my younger daughter, so maybe it was hanging around with us growing up. She's wanted to be a physician ever since she was probably about three years old, is finishing high school now and has been accepted to a a BSMD program in Philadelphia. So she'll be following in our footsteps. So BSMD, it's the whole
1: program is just one admission and you go through the school all the way to the MD?
2: That's right, so um, she's fortunate and obviously she's worked hard, and is, is very, very well qualified to be accepted where you get accepted for the undergraduate and for the medical school simultaneously. So she's in for a eight year haul, but luckily she loves the, the program and, and she loves Philadelphia, so she's excited. So I don't
1: have really a scientific bone in my body that I'm aware of. But in my lineage, my grandfather was a dentist, which is probably as close to somebody that did any kind of medicine as anybody else in the family. And on my wife's side, her father was a chemical engineer. So our daughter somehow got the science gene. And she has just graduated. Actually, as we are taping this, We're getting ready to go to graduation, which is in a couple of days in Colorado Springs, and we'll have a degree in molecular biology. And she's trying to decide what's next for her, whether it's a PhD in biology, or it's an MD, or it's a combination of MD, PhD. So she's got a long road ahead of her. But Sharon and I look at each other all the time and wonder where did this kid get the the science aptitude? And it's kind of amazing. So great fun having girls, but sometimes a challenge being the dad, especially when you are tempted to give them advice.
2: Yeah, yeah. No, no, for sure. Um, That's what happened with my older daughter when she decided to initially change colleges. I just had to hold my breath as that was unfolding because, you know, like you said, as a dad, you never know which way that conversation is going.
1: Yeah. Let's shift gears a little bit and talk about Jupiter Medical and what's on the horizon. It's had an absolutely stratospheric run in the last 10 years. I think the capital campaign that kicked off has raised almost 300 million or somewhere that's correct somewhere that's correct. around 300 million yes. dollars. that's right uh, for a local community. Now we happen to be in a fairly affluent community. Remember we are living in paradise, which yes. is why I call the podcast Business in Paradise. Tell me what you see on the horizon as uh, the next initiatives for our community
2: hospital. Sure. So, you know, a couple of things. As you, as you said, you know, we're very, very fortunate to have an community. Sorry. But what I can tell you is, in addition to folks' generosity, they are, that, and part of why they're so successful in business, they're really smart folks who live around here. And I think what they realize is, To have a gem like Jupiter Medical Center, which really is the only independent, not-for-profit medical center in the region, and in addition to that, has the highest quality scores, patient safety scores, patient experience scores in the region, they're grateful for the, not just the care that we provide, but it's the way that care is provided by our entire team members. And I think that's why they're so supportive of us and have been over the years. If we think about even today, we have a emergency department that we're expanding 25%. A lot of that's happening because folks in the community reached out to us, said, boy, you know, we we see that you're seeing more and more volume. You provide great care. We don't really want to, or others, to have to go to other hospitals. We'd like to see what we can do to support you. Our surgical institute, we're building a 90,000 square foot facility, which is going to have 16 state-of-the-art operating rooms two hybrid rooms and that's a hundred million dollar project is that right on the campus right on the campus so on Jupiter Lakes Boulevard where previously used to be the main entrance is where the surgical Institute um, you know is going to be
1: all right and then you've got the breast cancer Institute and the imaging
2: center that's correct we have the the needle in breast center just a little bit over a mile down the road from JMC
1: and then the cancer Institute is fairly new
2: Cancer Institute is new. We also opened that during the pandemic as well. And I'll tell you, we've the, the reception we've gotten there has been amazing because we have radiation oncology, surgical oncology, medical oncology, genetic counseling, social work, nurse navigation, all under one roof.
1: Wow. So you've got all of these amazing facilities, all these amazing programs. You've got great physicians. One thing that I would be worried about because I confront this in my business as well is that because we do live in such a cool place, the housing costs have gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, to buy a house in Jupiter, Florida is probably on average now more than 550 or sure. $600,000. Right. You don't pay all of your people, physician uh, level wages. How much is it impacting the hospital to have the costs of staff going up, to have the costs of housing staff going up, and to recruit people to this area, how do you do
2: it? Listen, for sure, it's definitely a challenge. And it's, you know, more of a challenge now than it was just a few years ago. I think it's, you know, when we look at people who, met say, may come down from out of the area, whether it's from the Northeast or just from a different part of the state, everybody gets sticker shock when they see the, the prices of housing here. So the way that we end up attracting people is, again, you know, when people see how, good our engagement scores are, and it really is a great place to work. They want to try to be able to live here. With that being said, we are starting to explore now affordable housing options and opportunities, seeing how we can partner with some of the the, the folks in the community to be able to do that. Because like you said, even though for many, they may want to work here, the desire may be very strong. Currently, the affordability options you know, have, have really diminished quite a bit over the last couple of years.
1: And what are you seeing on the inflation front? Are you having to pay your people more because wages have gone up in the last year? And is healthcare or healthcare costs going up for the same
2: reason? Yeah, no, no, absolutely. You know, I've we're in the midst of of, of having town halls, which we have regularly. And, um, you know, I'm very honest with my staff, telling them the pain that everybody's feeling, which is when we go to fill our car with uh, with gas, it seems like it costs five bucks more than it did the time before. I keep checking to see if my car has a leak, and then I'm disappointed that it doesn't. It just ends up being uh, more expensive. So we're we're doing everything we can. Just last fall, so our fiscal year starts October 1st, when we were doing our summer planning and our budgeting season, which is the annual time when we do that. We did put in historic, you know, raises, improvement in benefits, added PDO. And we're looking to do more this year as well, too, to be able to help our team members cope with some of the inflation that they're experiencing.
1: Is PDO paid days off? Is That's that correct. What PDO is? Okay. That's right, yeah. Okay. So we beefed up the benefit program and made sure that people are compensated so that you can attract pretty good talent to this community. Yeah. Of the physicians that are working through Jupiter Medical, just like at Yale, I would imagine a lot of them are private practice physicians. Uh, Some of them might be physicians that are owned by a group, you know, Sheridan Medical, for example, in the pain center and in the ER. Are they in the ER? Is that Sheridan also?
2: That's right. So it's it's called Envision now. Envision. Okay.
1: So of the physicians at the hospital, do you have any idea of how much the what the ratio is to these guys are hospital and these men and women are hospital employees? These folks are work for you know a kind of a
2: how what would you call that physician outsourcing service so there's you know contracted services so okay. there'll be as you said it's a it is a physician outsourcing service of types it's a national organization which then does enter into contracts with hospitals to provide physician services and and then versus how many of the physicians
1: are just in private practice is it a fairly equal number or are there just a lot of private practice guys in the area as well
2: sure sure so we have about 700 700 physicians on staff at JMC, I know that's that's number of surprises yeah. most people because they think well, it's probably a hundred or so docs. And we have about seven hundred physicians on staff. Out of those, I would say roughly eighty-five to ninety percent are independent physicians in independent practices. Now, even if they're independent, doesn't necessarily mean that they're solo. They may be in practice with other physicians. You know, of a group of two to maybe even a couple of dozen, depending on the group, depending on the specialty. I'd say about, you know, out of the remainder, the bulk is still the contracted services, and then we do have some physicians that are employed directly by JMC. Okay, so is this why when I go,
1: if I'm going to have a procedure at Jupiter Medical, I might sit down with the person that's registering me, and they say, you're going to get two bills. One's going to be from the hospital, one's going to be from the doctor. And that's because the doctor is coming to the hospital and performing services on your premises. That's right. Which was something that I didn't even know kind of how that worked until I was involved for a number of years with the quality committee at Jupiter Medical. I sat on the quality committee when Dr. Waterman was the chair and and, uh, also when Dr. Corey was the chair. And then ultimately on the foundation board where I'm learning about physician credentialing and, and things like this that are probably not very common knowledge to people outside of the industry. So If you were thinking about picking a hospital for yourself, if you were in a a different community, you, you happen to just find yourself in a different community, and you were going to try to figure out, I need to go to the hospital for some reason, how would you go about looking up the hospitals in the area and trying to pick one?
2: Sure. So, you know, fortunately, there are enough objective ratings that are respectable, I think, the, the most objective being the ones that are put out by CMS, which is the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And they uh, actually rate every single hospital across the country. And they use a five-star rating system. And, uh, you know, that's what I would look at. And, uh, you know, in this area, JMC is actually the only hospital that has five stars from a quality standpoint. So I'd look at that because that's not just advertising, right? That's objective ratings. I'd also look at the patient experience ratings because those are also reported by CMS as well. So where do but, I find this?
1: On the website
2: for uh, CMS? Yes, or? you can go to cms.gov, and you can look at the hospital star ratings. You can also look at their patient experience ratings. Those are all publicly reported and uh, uh, readily available for anybody to, uh, with access to a website.
1: Okay. All right. And so so I'm in a foreign, in, in a different community. I want to check out the local hospital's. Go to a CMS website, find out how they're rated, yep. whether it's for-profit or non-profit, look for a very highly rated institution. Correct. Okay, correct. All right. Now, Jupiter, I think we've got somewhere around sixty-five or 70,000 people. It might be more than that now, yeah. right? Yeah. How many beds do we have at Jupiter Medical?
2: So currently, we have 248 beds. But what we're starting to see now with the growth that we're experiencing, you know, it used to be that we'd be relatively busy during the season, and then things would definitely uh, level off. What we're seeing now is that even after the pandemic has really subsided quite a bit, um, we're pretty close to capacity, and as we're going to be performing more surgeries, delivering more babies, seeing more patients to the ED, we are um, now in the planning phases of adding additional beds as well. Okay, so a community of this size, is there any
1: rule of thumb? How many hospital beds in a community you should have, like 200 for every 50,000 people or something like that?
2: You know, there are metrics that we can utilize. It ends up being a pretty sophisticated analysis to get it right, so I don't want to go by just the, the rule of thumb numbers. But what I would tell you is it certainly could not support a doubling or tripling of the beds because the challenges that would happen in those type of situations, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, issues with staffing, Okay. We know that, unfortunately, because of what's happened with the pandemic, one out of four nurses have actually decided that they would rather just leave the medical profession and do something else completely. So while it may seem on the surface we could use the old adage, well, competition's always good, you know, there are some nuances because of what's happening at this point in time, certainly with healthcare, that I do think that us creating too much capacity will not only actual limit services. And I'll talk about that because people say, well, if you're going to add capacity, how does that lead to limiting services? You can Google right now or use the web browser of your choice and look at hospitals limiting services. There's dozens of hospitals across the country that are forced to limit services because they just can't find staff to be able to have a workforce for many units. So there's places where Pediatric units are being shut down, obstetric units, other units as well, too. And these are some of the challenges that happen if we add extra capacity at a time that staff is already in short supply. If we're all competing for the same staff and you don't have minimal staffing, the existing hospital may have to shut down services.
1: Wow. You never think about it in those terms, but that's probably a good argument for why we need to keep supporting Jupiter Medical and keep it the premier healthcare organization in the community. That's been fascinating. Before you go, tell me a little bit about what you like to do for fun, because you moved down here to paradise, and now you're probably working 70 or 80 hours a week, and a lot of times you get what you want, which is to live in an amazing place like this. Hopefully, you get some time off, and when
2: you do, what do you do? So, you know, I joke around with folks, say, boy, you know, when when I was interviewing for the jobs, job down here... You know, the the board told me about all the great golf courses here, gave me tours, all the beaches, and then I realized I didn't have much time to actually frequent any of those. But <laughs> that's okay. As I said, we we work pretty hard. With that being said, I absolutely love playing golf, and I'm going to choose those words carefully because I love playing golf. By the time I get out there, not sure how much I enjoy it because my game ends up being so bad. But listen, you know, if you're out in fresh air, you see the palm trees, you have great company, you're with good friends, it's absolutely amazing also love spending time at the beach as well, too. What I find one of the most amazing experiences about, as you said, about living in paradise is no matter how stressful the day is or how stressful the week is, I'm five minutes away from going to the beach or going to the golf course, just getting a little bit of time to decompress. And that really does make
1: all the difference. Wow, that's fantastic. And last question, my wife Sharon and I have kind of a go-to favorite place in the world where... If uh, we just want to get away and chill and totally relax and feel like, you know, we're in heaven, we go to Italy, where do you and your wife go?
2: So as of of the last couple of years, it's actually become Napa. Oh, yeah? Yeah, so I've become a bit of a, a wine enthusiast, but even more important than the wine, probably for the same reasons why I love being down here in Jupiter so much, because when you go to the vineyards, it's this... Amazing fresh air, this breeze, these vast open spaces, the great being in nature—that you know—we find incredibly relaxing. And if you
1: were to drink a bottle of wine, and you could pick one or two bottles that uh, you absolutely love, what would you choose?
2: Uh, the Opus Cabernet Sauvignon 2015 is definitely one of my favorites.
1: Wow, I will have to try it. I've had—it's been a long time since I've had anything Opus. I think that the last time is probably more than 15 years ago when I was living in Chicago yeah. and uh, had had dinner at Charlie Trotter's, which was a phenomenal restaurant in Chicago before Charlie passed away. He was one of the original celebrity chefs, but Sharon and I shared a bottle of Opus at that dinner, and we still talk about that dinner that we had at this amazing restaurant. Listen, you've been a great guest. Your story is fascinating what's going on here in Jupiter what's going on with the hospital the fact that we've taken this you know small town community hospital and built it into a world-class healthcare center is truly an amazing story so I can't thank you enough for coming on the Business in Paradise podcast Amit Rastogi I hope I'm saying it right Amit Rastogi yeah, that's that, that's perfect thank you so much for being a guest
2: on Business in Paradise thank you Gary appreciate the time today
0: Thank you for listening to the Business in Paradise Palm Beach podcast with Carrie Stamp, founder of Carrie Stamp and Company, principal wealth advisors. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of the Commonwealth Financial Network. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. Harry Stamp Company is located at 110 Bridge Road to Florida 33469 Securities and Advisory services offered through Commonwealth Financial Network member FINRA SIPC, a registered investment advisor.